Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Wednesday, December 7th, 2022. Well, everybody, it is that time of year, the time where you will start opening up your Bible to the book of Revelation. And we'll be finishing our year reading this book uh, together. And uh, obviously, this book is an intense book. It can be a confusing book. It can be a debated book. But today, I want to bring our attention to uh, some of the, the first words of the book. Literally, just in the ESV, the first four words, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This book is the the revelation of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, it is focused on him. It does not begin the revelation of future events and their order and sequence. No, no, the focus of the book is on Jesus Christ. And so I just want to put that out there up front that I hope all of our desire and I hope what ends up happening is that as we look at the book of Revelation, we do see Jesus Christ and our love for him grows uh, and our awe of him grows and even our yearning for his return grows. Now, to be clear, you do have to decide what are you going to do with the book of Revelation. It does speak of events. Are they future? Are they in the past? And so I'll lay some of my cards out right on the table as we start. I come from a perspective that would say, no, the bulk of what we're going to see here in Revelation, obviously he's speaking right now of things that this vision happened way in the past, but the bulk of the things he is going to speak of, even as it references in verse 19, are things that will take place after this. Future things, and I would uh, argue that they are still future. Sometimes this is called a futurist um, understanding of the book of Revelation. There are some that would hold to a more preterist or maybe partial preterist view uh, that would say a lot of the things in the book of Revelation have actually already happened. And uh, the things even that you'll see, the judgments, a lot of it even revolves around things that happened. I think of the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Like I said, there's very godly, very smart people who would hold those views. I I disagree. I think what we're looking at something that is future. And to be specific, I believe uh, the correct understanding of the book of Revelation would lead you to believe there is a future uh, period of tribulation, this seven-year period we'll see in Revelation and in Daniel uh, that, that is still going to happen and a literal millennial kingdom, as we'll see. Again, this can be confusing. This is debated, but that's the perspective uh, that I think is the best understanding of the book of Revelation. And it's unavoidable that that is going to come up as we read through the book of Revelation. You might not uh, agree with me on that, but maybe you can see where I'm coming from. Maybe I'll persuade some of you. And I would also hope that, again, our focus will be on Jesus Christ. And so whatever your perspective may be, there will things that there will be things that all of us learn and all of us really grow in that are focused on the person of Jesus Christ that we see in this book. And that's really so much of what we are going to see in chapter one. 
we are seeing uh, this vision of Jesus Christ. And I want you to just note today all the ways that Jesus is uh, described uh, and, and just take these to heart and pray through these things. John, he starts writing in verse four, and he addresses this to the seven churches that are in Asia, which we'll get more into tomorrow. And he says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And I believe that's referring to God, the father, because in verse five, he comes to this different person of the Trinity and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. So let's just start there. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. He was faithful unto death. He has spoken the truth to us. He is the firstborn of the dead. And again, you might say, well, didn't people rise from the dead before uh, Jesus? Well, again, firstborn, even in biblical terms, is not always in order of chronology, but importance. But I would also say he's the firstborn of the dead, even in chronology of this different type of resurrection, that he was raised from the dead to never die again, uh, as I believe All Christians will experience that resurrection, and he is described here as the ruler of kings on earth. That's a good thing to understand there at the beginning of the book of Revelation, and just as you look out at the world, Jesus Christ is ultimately the ruler. He is the ruler of the kings on earth. He is the one that has authority. Think of the Great Commission. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then it goes on uh, to describe him as to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. I love Revelation chapter one because, I mean, we're only in verse five and you just come across these statements that you you want to read over. And by this point, you're, you're getting close to have read through the Bible in a whole year and you come to statements like this and you're like, oh yeah, I know that. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know that? He loves us. That's a truth that should never get old to us. Jesus Christ loves us, his people. And he has freed us from our sins. And I think that idea of freedom in the New Testament is connected both to uh, we are freed from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. And how did he do it? By his blood, by uh, sacrificially giving his life for us. And he has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Um, one thing that should come up a lot in the book of Revelation, if we're doing it right, is worship. Glory and dominion forever and ever be to God. And then verse seven reminds us that Jesus is coming back. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. So there we see the reality that he is coming. And again, that's where Christians may disagree on well, what that looks like and when that may happen in the sequence of other events. But I think every faithful Christian understands Jesus Christ is coming back. And, and here there will even be wailing in uh, the moment of people who realize what they have done, realize their sin. 
And then we get into this vision, and let's jump down now to verse 12, where it says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Now again, when we see visions like this, even notice the word that is used quite a bit in there, it's like. John is trying to make comparisons because, no, it's not saying his feet are burnished bronze. No, it is like. He's trying to use something that, that he knows, something that his readers will know, and say it's, it's like that. Um, that doesn't mean it, it is exactly that. It is like that. He's trying to use words to really describe the indescribable, something that is so incredible and so majestic. And I do think the words, though, have um, have meaning. Uh, people talk about the white hair being a symbol of wisdom. I, I also think even, again, it's, it's white like white wool, like snow. Uh, some have even spoken that, that there's a sense of which it, it may be glowing white, almost a representation of the Shekinah, the glory of God. And you even uh, see uh, this sense in his eyes, right? They are like a flame of fire. And that's one of my favorite parts about this description. Jesus's eyes see everything. His eyes uh, penetrate anything. And I do think um, we see John's reaction, uh, all right, and just the response to all of this, which again, you see this more at the end, even that idea of Shekinah, I'm more meant to connect that to verse 16, um, as opposed to just the, his eyes, but 16, his face was like the sun shining in full strength. It's a picture of glory, uh, even the feet like burnished bronze. You see themes of glory and power and purity in this. And you see John fall at his feet as though dead, right? He, he faints, stimulation overload. I, I also think, you know, connect this to the idea of Isaiah, right? When you come across this vision of something so pure, so powerful, so glorious, you, you're going to realize, woe is me. Uh, and I want us to, to sense Jesus in his power, in his glory. And there should be a sense of woe is me. Um, and that should make us even more appreciate what we read earlier, that he loves us and freed us from his sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. Oh, what an amazing statement that this one who, if we saw, we would fall over like we were dead. He has freed us by his blood. He loves us and he has brought us into his kingdom and given us a mission, given us a purpose. Another one of my favorite statements from this chapter is verse, starting in verse 17, where he lays his right hand on John. It says, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I love that. He, he died, but nope, he, now he's alive and he's alive forever. And he has the keys of death and Hades. And then you get there, right there for the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take 
place after this. And uh, you sense he's seeing a vision here. He's going to write these letters to churches, which I think were real churches at the time. And then he's going to spend much of the book talking about things that will take place. And we'll get into all of that in time. But I want us to start by just reflecting on the person of Christ, who he is, this vision of glory, and how that should affect us. I think we should be filled with wonder at our salvation. We should be filled with awe uh, at our Savior. And I think there's even a strength to be found. We are serving the one who is alive forevermore and has the keys of death and Hades and is the ruler of the kings on earth. What in the world do we have to be afraid of? Well, nothing except for Jesus, right? That if you fear the Lord, you don't have to fear anything else. And so I hope we we start off Revelation on the right foot of seeing Jesus as we are meant to see him and having our our view and our life really shaped by the person of Jesus Christ. Let's go back now to Ezekiel 43 through 45. And like I said, this is another often confusing or controversial part of the scripture. Uh, My understanding is this is something that will be literally fulfilled. Again, you'll see more exact um, measurements and things like that today. I don't understand the purpose of the exactness of all of this, if this is just figurative. But one thing that is very important, important is the beginning of chapter 43. Remember earlier, Ezekiel is transported to Jerusalem in a vision and he sees the glory of God leave the temple. Well, in chapter 43, again, he's been transported to, I believe, this future version of Jerusalem in a vision, and now he sees the glory of the Lord fill the temple. And so you do see this as a place that is right. This is what is good, not like the temple that was that had become an abomination. This is a temple that the Lord comes and dwells in. And again, I think I see a lot of this being literal, but even those that don't take this as literally as I would, would see the importance of really speaking of the restoration of God's people as his glory fills uh, the temple. So don't miss that significant aspect of Ezekiel 43 today. And please, most importantly, as we read the revelation of Jesus Christ, let's make sure we don't miss Jesus Christ. And that first and foremost, our eyes are on him. So even I'd encourage you to pray today, God, as we read through the book of Revelation, open up my eyes that I might see Jesus and know him better. And I do think it'd be good to pray, God, help me to understand what this book means because there's clear blessing, as it says in Revelation number one, uh, chapter one, to those who read it, those who do what it says. So pray that God would give us understanding because it is it can be confusing that God would help us see clearly what it is talking about as best we can. So I'm excited to read through this book together as we wrap up our year. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.